I've been away for four weeks and I haven't had this. <laughs> um, uh, I'd want to say thanks to Malcolm and Sandy and the team as well. Well, we've been uh, Michelle and Lydia and I were just overseas. We uh, we appreciate you guys and uh, just um, yeah, don't you appreciate them? I've been there a pretty good bunch, aren't they, Malcolm and Sandy? But um, thank you for the opportunity. Just um, in a sense, uh, I suppose allowing us to be able to just spend. A, that time away and, um, and just have an incredible time. While we were away, we had an opportunity to go to Sicily and, and part of our family is in Sicily. Um, through Michelle's side, um, they're Italian and we had an incredible time with them and um, just connecting with them. So um, you, you might have seen there's a, there, on Sicily there's a mountain called Mount Etna and it erupted. Did you see that? Was it on the news over here? It erupted, and we'd only been there three days earlier. And uh, so I, I texted my, my, my relatives, and I said, you guys okay? Because they live at the base of Mount Etna. And I said, are you guys okay? They said, yeah, we're perfect. We're used to this. You missed the great light show. <laughs> I thought, well, you know, I'm glad they kind of see it that way. <laughs> but uh, I had the opportunity, actually, to go to the 2000 metre mark, um, Mount Etna's just over 3,000 metres, and that was three, three or four days before it erupted, so, you know, anyway. Fantastic. Um, I was just contemplating last Sunday, what I was doing last Sunday about this time, and, and we were desperately trying to get the church in Rome last Sunday. Isn't it? It just seems surreal that you can be 6,000 kilometres away, and yet so many days later you're back you know, amazing travel, isn't it? Aeroplanes. Um, but we were rushing to try and get to a church in Rome, and, and Lydia had found on the internet that there was a hill song in Rome. And um, so we negotiated, we had about 25 minutes to get there. We had to negotiate the, the subway, metro as they call it, underground train system, and then, and then get across town in Rome, and then pop up. Um, out of the rabbit warren of the metro system and then uh, try and find uh, 700 metres away, my Google map said that's where the Hillsong Church is. So, so we got down into the subway and this silly machine wanted certain, it didn't want dollars, it wanted coins and so we had to rush back up out of the subway, out of the rabbit warren, um, you know, buy a bottle of water, get some euro coins, go back down. I'm thinking, look at the time. If we make this, God, it'll be a miracle. If we get there in time, it'll be a miracle. And um, we put our money in the slot, got our tickets, found a train, uh, got on the train with a bunch of other people, and three stops later, we got off, and, uh, and I looked at my Google Maps, and we had two minutes to get there. So Lydia and I ran 700 metres... To get to church, and if you don't know, they're having heat waves over there at the moment. So I got to church, and there was, and we found because they got it in a motel base in a conference room. It's, it's only a, it's only got 50 people in Rome, Hillsong, Rome. That's okay. They, they've only been going a couple of years, and so they really try to break through. But it was just brilliant. So we, there was a guy on the front door, and I could see he was a Christian. He was smiling. I thought that must be the church. So we ran across the road, um, sweat was pouring off us, 
I said, is this Hillsong? He said, yeah, come on, get in. And he, he took us through the doors. And there was another lady took us down two flights of stairs into the conference room. And there, and we said, oh, we'll just grab a seat in the back. They said, no, get in the second row. So, so we felt a bit felt a bit conspicuous. But anyway, two Australians. So we sat in the second row and it sweat. Wasn't it just so much sweat pouring off us? And finally, the air conditioning kicked in and, and we felt better. But we had music and we had English. <laughs> it was nice. English songs. And even though they had one song in Italian, but it was one we knew. And, and then they had Brian Houston speaking. That was good, wasn't it? On live stream. It wasn't him in person. Well, it wasn't. It was, it was, it was from Hillsong London, the big Hillsong conference. It was, it was a brilliant message. And about two and a half hours later, we got out of there just feeling, man, finally we feel. Don't you just feel refreshed when you get to church? <laughs> well, I did. We did anyway. So, oh, finally. Anyway, I'm not here to talk about all that, but I just thought I'd tell you what I was doing last Sunday this time, okay? Um, Praise God, we got there and we sat down and we had two seconds and the first song started. Isn't God good? Seldom early but never late. (laughs) Anyway, can I turn your attention to a couple of verses this morning? I want to draw your attention to something Peter said. Uh, Peter, of course, being one of the disciples, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And then I want to draw your attention to something similar Paul said. Paul, not being one of the 12 disciples, but certainly was an apostle, uh, came to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so I want to draw your attention to these verses. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 13, reading from the New International Version to start with. And it says, Dear friends, 1 Peter chapter 4, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Take note of that. Don't be surprised at some of the tests that come your way as if it's strange. Verse 13, but rejoice. (laughs) That's easier said than done, isn't it? Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And let's turn to something similar Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 4. Paul the Apostle. And he says in Romans chapter 5, he says, we can rejoice too. He starts with rejoice. We can rejoice too, talking to the Roman church, the Christians in Rome. When we run into problems, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, this one. When we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Everybody go, endurance. (laughs) Don't we love that? (laughs) And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. I, uh, Paul and Peter, um, they would have met over there uh, in their crisscrossing on their missionary journeys. In actual fact, um, they, speak these similar, they speak these similar words, uh, not knowing probably what each other has written. Um, but they wrote them around about the same time. Uh, their, their, uh, their letters, uh, of course, Peter's letter and then Paul's letter. And they, they underline something pretty important as they write these things. They underline that they understood. We can see from what they said today. They understand something that life sometimes um, goes bad and it, it, sometimes life will mistreat you. 
Mis- sometimes life will go the way that sometimes you're misunderstood. You get blamed for things that you didn't do or you did, but you didn't. You were innocent in what you did. And you just end up in a situation where you feel this is just really unfair. Have you ever been in one of those situations before? Just me. Okay. But we, you know... Paul and Peter are acknowledging that, that they understand the realities. And, the, the, you know, Paul and Peter had experienced mistreatment to the maximum. They, I mean, ultimately, they were both executed. Um, Peter was executed in Rome at around about 65 AD, so 65 years after the birth of Christ or thereabouts, uh, in that period of time. And the way he was executed, because uh, he was crucified, uh, and uh, he said, uh, and historically, not biblically, historically, they say he said to the, his executors, don't execute me like Jesus, turn me upside down, execute me upside down on the cross. And he was crucified upside down around about 65, 66 AD. Paul, I mean, he, the, the trouble in the, in the struggle that he faced because of his proclamation of Jesus, I mean, they were misunderstood, weren't they, Peter and Paul? All they wanted to do was share the good news of Jesus I mean, at the, at the birth of Jesus, the angels sing, you know, the wonderful song, you know, tidings of good, of great joy. It was going to be good news. Well, it seems like those people in, who lived after the, after the death and resurrection of Christ and around the 600, you know, the first century, they didn't see it like that. They didn't see the message of Peter and Paul as good news at all. They saw it as a challenge to their lifestyle and the way they lived, and they were very challenged by it. And we see that the way they treated Paul, he too was executed eventually in Rome. But because Paul was a Roman citizen, they couldn't crucify him because Roman citizens weren't allowed to be crucified. They just chopped his head off. Maybe that's better than crucifixion. Crucifixion takes a little longer, but beheading is pretty quick. I've never experienced it. I wouldn't know, but tell me if you know about that, but... You know, you've got to appreciate they understood mistreatment. Would you agree? They understood that for proclaiming a really good message, and yet they received so much. In actual fact, they were imprisoned in Rome, both Paul and Peter at different stages, around the same time between 60 and 70 AD. And, and the interesting thing um, is that Nero was the, was the uh, leader at the time. He was the king at the time. Nero, he was a crazy leader. He was a crazy leader. In actual fact, there was a fire broke out in Rome in 64 AD on the 19th of July. It's historical fact. A fire that burnt two-thirds of Rome down. And guess who Nero blamed it on? The Christians. And so in Nero's term of government, he persecuted the Christians extensively. And the reality is, is we all say, well, there's a lot of Christians died in the Colosseum in Rome. No, they didn't. Not a single Christian died in the Colosseum. They all died in another place where they built the, the Catholic Vatican Church at the present moment in Rome. That's where they were executed and fed to the lions. Interesting, isn't it? Now, I tell you all this because I've just been there. <laughs> And I want to share something. So I was very much touched by the reality that Paul and Peter understood mistreatment, being blamed for things that were were bringing good news. And yet, you know, in actual fact, did you know the very prison that they say Paul and Peter was jailed in is still there in Rome? Monday, six days ago, I was in that prison. Can I show you a picture? Is that okay? 
So let me just give you, let's leave it on this one for a start. See this white building? This is a church. This is the facade of the church. The church, that, that's, a, that's a church. It was built in the 1600s. So it's around, three, it's about 300 plus years old, the actual church. Now before that church was built, there was just a little building. And under that building, two levels down underground, was the, was the dungeon for Roman prisoners who, were, who had, uh, of course, done something against the state of Rome. And so they would imprison them under this building. Okay, this building was built, as I said, in 1600. So it's only 300. That's pretty young in, in, in Italy's, you know. Three, anything 300 is really quite young. Centuries. I mean, you go back before Christ. There's buildings before Christ in Rome, but they had a they had a dungeon and they had a prison. Now Michelle and I went through this um, door. Now we took a picture of this, but the picture is not as good as that picture. So I got a picture off the internet. Is that okay? Um, because they're all there in winter. We were in 35 degree heat. So we weren't wearing clothes like that. So. But this building is the church. You know, they seem to build, wherever the disciples or the apostles did something amazing, they seem to build churches on top of it. Interesting. Anyway, we went through those three openings on the front of that at the ground level. We went through the, the right-hand side as you look at it. And we went into the building at ground level. Then we went down one level into the church area. Then we went down another level into the dungeon where they say Peter and Paul were imprisoned because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Because of their, they were mistreated because of their belief in Jesus. So let me show you another picture. Um, there's the dungeon. There's three things about it. It was dark, it was dingy, and it was damp. And just to show you that we were there, there's Michelle and I'm actually behind her with a cap on, just to know that we were in the actual place. Now, you know, they're saying, that they're saying this is the place. Can they be 100% sure? No. But I'm just saying, if it was, it was pretty amazing to be there. Let me give you another picture just to give you a better illustration of what it looked like. Um, right there. There in the middle, there's a hole... And they say that was a natural spring came up out of that. And that's where Peter, they said, would baptize people as they come to the dungeon to talk to him. And he led them to Jesus and he would water baptize them. Now, I'm, is, it, is it true? I would hope so. Is this where they were? I'd hope so. If it wasn't, it's not a big deal, is it? I'm not going to worship that spot. I'm not going to get all excited. I'm not going to put a church on top of it. <laughs> but they did. But the reality is, is that it kind of brings home the reality. This, this, mind you, while the church on top of it is 300 plus years old, that is 3,000 years old. It's be they built this dungeon th before Christ. They know that for a fact. So that's a reality. That's a fact. And Paul and, and Peter were imprisoned uh, around about 60... Uh, 65 AD, after the burning of Rome, and they were executed um, somewhere in the vicinity of 65 AD to 67. Both of them were executed within the same decade. One was beheaded, one was crucified upside down. They fa faced suffering and mistreatment in incredible ways for their faith in Jesus Christ. Mistreated. And you know what? I sometimes get upset about the little things that happened in my life. And then I start to kind of, um, kind of weigh it up in the light of the fact of what some of the early Christian fathers faced and, and, and the women and men faced. They say that this, this prison, uh, you know, was where Paul and, and uh, Peter were in prison at different times, not at the same time. 
Um, all because they were doing the right thing. But while I kind of gather from what Paul and Peter said in Scripture, where they talk about when you face these trials, rejoice. I kind of gather that Paul in prison, while they were in a physical prison, there was something about them that wasn't imprisoned. Would you agree? There's something, they, they might have physically been imprisoned, but they weren't imprisoned in their hearts. They had something within them greater. And the, of course, we know it was, it was the love of God. It was the Holy Spirit strengthening them, giving them courage and comfort and encouragement. Um, someone once said this, it's not good to be in a prison for doing nothing wrong, but it's far worse when the prison gets on the inside of you. And, when we, and that can happen when we allow the bitterness of mistreatment to invade our inner person. Um, and one of the great tests of character, one of the great, because that's what Peter says, a test of a character, is, is when in our lives we've been unfairly treated, we've been misunderstood, misrepresented, mistaken for doing something we never did, or we did something and yet we were trying to sincerely do something. And when those things happen, we, you know, we can, we can unintentionally... Uh, um, do something and be blamed. And that's the time, that's the test when we've got to make a decision about whether what attitude we're going to have because, folks, that's when you can allow the prison on the inside of you if you allow that thing to encompass your heart and you allow it to get to you and really destroy you in a person because you're so offended or so upset or so angry about the mistreatment that you receive. Let's be honest, we all face mistreatment at different times in our lives. If I was to go from right to left, I think every one of us would have some kind of element of testimony about something that happened that was just not fair. Not fair. I want to talk to you this morning about understanding mistreatment because I believe there's a scriptural powerful point that God wants us to understand because when we turn it around and don't allow that stuff to get on the inside of us, don't allow the prison on the inside of our hearts, it's incredibly powerful testimony to this world of who we are in Christ. This world needs to see who Jesus is. And you're the evidence of that when you stand up and say, no, I'm not going to allow this to destroy my life. I'm going to smile. I'm going to, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be thankful through the mistreatment and the unfairness that's happened in my life. I was, I was in Florence, just in Italy, just a week and a half ago. That was before Rome. And um, one of these situations happened, as it invariably does in life. It, it, and it caught me unawares of this element of unfairness. It caught me. See, I was in a Florence um, railway station, and we were going to travel to, just before we traveled to Rome by, um, by train. And so I, 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 I saw an ice cream shop in the middle of the train station. They had shops everywhere, but there was this one that really stood out. And, and it wasn't just gelato. It wasn't just ice cream on a cone. It was actual like ice creams like Magnums. Have a hearts. Do you know the ones? And, and, and I hadn't seen any in all my travels for the time I've been away. And I saw one. I said, Michelle, let's get an ice cream. It kind of reminded me of home, you know. You know, I don't mind the old almond magnum. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is it, you know? <laughs> I've shifted from summer rolls to almond magnums. And so we went into the store, and there's this massive fridge on one wall, all glass, and you can look at what ice cream you want, and it's just packed with ice creams. And I saw what I wanted, and I opened the fridge, and as I opened the fridge, I picked up what I wanted, and as I picked it up, another ice cream fell, dropped to the floor, 
about, you know, about a, uh, half a metre. And I thought, oh, okay. Uh, you know, and, and the shopkeeper was observing all this. And so I thought, I've got to do the right thing. So I, so I um, kind of opened the door again. I put the one that was in my hand back in the shelf. And then I picked up the one on the floor that I thought was broken. You know, I thought, well, it'll probably be broken. I better, that's the one I need to buy because I've done the wrong thing. I took it to the counter. But, you know, the shopkeeper was not excited. He was upset. And he didn't say anything. He just, he, we could, Michelle and I could see that he was not happy chappy. He, he was assuming that the broken ice cream was the one I put back in the fridge and then I'd grabbed a fresh one and bought it to him to buy. He was assuming that I'd done wrong to him. He was assuming, and, um, and so, and then if, to make matters worse, I handed him a 50 bill euro, and he said, you got any change? He said it in broken English, Italian, and, and I knew what he said, and I, I searched, and we didn't, and he, in the end, he just, he just went bang, and he put the change on the counter, and I thought, he's not happy, <laughs> and Michelle, being the more compassionate one, said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He wasn't interested. So I grabbed the change. I thought, best. I, I'm, I, he speaks Italian. I'm, I'm speaking English. I know seven words in Italian. He probably knows only seven words in English. I, I'm not going to try. So we just walked out. I didn't try and explain it, but I could see he wasn't happy. But what caught me unawares as I walked out, I felt, I felt this little element of hurt in my heart. And I thought, where's that coming from? What's happening here? And, you know, I, I've learned long enough that you've got to uh, do a little self-assessment and work out what's happening. And, and you know, what was happening was I felt offended. <laughs> I felt offended because he had misunderstood me when I was actually trying to do the right thing. I'd done the right thing. I'd given him, I'd, I'd bought the broken ice um, magnum. In actual fact, it wasn't broken. But you don't know that through the packet, do you? Um, and so I'd, bought the, I'd done the right thing, but he thought I'd done the wrong thing. And so he was upset, and, and, and I was offended. And, 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 you know, that he would think that, and I was trying to do the right thing, and yet he didn't see that, and he was upset with me. And, and so I realized that I've got a, you know, that was one emotion I had to deal with was an offense, because who knows, offense can take you to unforgiveness, and long-term unforgiveness has become a bitterness, and that's not a place we need to go. It's what puts you in the prison, within your heart. And the second emotion I had was self-pity. Look, you know, it's always good to do self-assessment on your attitudes, isn't it? Sometimes we have these emotions and we never assess ourselves. And so we never heal or we never help ourselves. We need to. So I, so I, I, I said, the second emotion was self-pity. I mean, the self-pity went like this. I've done the right thing. It's not fair. Why should he treat me like that when I've done the right thing? You know, it's not fair. He's blamed me for something I didn't do. But self-pity is not a good emotion to have because it takes you down the, the track of never being responsible for what you do. Self-pity will, uh, will always play the victim. Self-pity will always say, well, I've got nothing. I've done everything right. But if I think about it, I'm the one who dropped the ice cream. I had a part to play in it, didn't I? And so these two emotions I had to work through and it takes some time to say, hey, I've got to deal with that because one will take me to unforgiveness, the other will take me to never being responsible for the actions in my life. I, don't want, I want to be responsible for my own actions. Come on, that's a, that, is, that is 101 Christianity. Be responsible, isn't it? 
for your own actions and don't blame everybody else. And yet, for a moment there, that's what exactly what I did. And it wanted to imprison my heart in this attitudes of not thinking mistreatment. The mistreatment I received, well, it's everybody else's fault, but not mine. So we have to be aware of there are, there are destructive attitudes. It allows us, you know, it, it wants to develop in our heart. And unforgiveness will make us bitter about life. And self-pity will make us never responsible for our lives. And if we're willing to see the issues surrounding the mistreatment, it's one of the greatest strengths of a Christian life when we own up to it, face it, and embrace it, and move through it, and don't take on the offense or the self-pity. I tell you what, it makes you so strong when you're willing to move through that and say, no way, I'm not going to live that way. Paul and Peter had come to that understanding because they said, you know, count it all. You know, it's let there be joy in your heart. Let there be peace in your heart. Don't allow it to get to you. They weren't always like that. I mean, Peter was the one who denied Jesus. He wasn't always that excited. Paul was the one who persecuted Christians. So they, they were pretty bad men, but you know that God turned something around in their life. And if he can do it in their lives, he can do it in ours. He can do amazing things. And we all face mistreatment. We all face hard times, misunderstanding from others. But you've got to see it as an opportunity for growth and strength and not an opportunity to take you down a spiral of offense and self-pity and imprison you two levels below ground level. You don't need to be imprisoned there. You don't need to be dark, dingy, and damp. Come on. You need to be light, life, and love. Obviously, Paul and Peter had come to that understanding. And every day, every day we can have opportunities to get angry, offended, and have self-pity, but you... But what you're doing, you see, what, but what you're doing when you indulge in the negative emotions of self-pity and offense is giving something else outside your power, outside yourself, sorry, power over you. I'll say that again. When you're doing, when you allow negative emotions and you indulge the negative emotion, you're giving something outside yourself power over your happiness, over your peace. Something outside yourself is now ruling your inner person. The Word of God says have self-control. Self-control is ruling your own emotions, isn't it? Not allowing someone else to come and rule you. Not someone else to come and, um, you know, dampen your fire and to control your happiness or your joy levels or your peace levels. No, you allow that to happen. See, there was a guy in the Bible, another guy, James. There was three of them. One of them was the brother of Jesus. Another was a disciple. Another was... was um, uh, you know, another James, another disciple, two of them, the disciples. One of them wrote a book. It's always been debated which one wrote the book of James. But anyway, they reckon it was the brother of, of, of Jesus who, who became the first Christian pastor in Jerusalem. But anyway, he was the first person who was martyred in 44 AD. The first disciple to be killed 44 years after Christ's um, birth. And, and he said this. This is what James had to say about um, misunderstanding in our lives. He says, in James 1, 2, and 4, Consider it pure joy. You know the verse. You can almost quote it to me. Consider it pure joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the, 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 that the, what? the testing of your faith produces something. It produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
mature and complete. Consider it pure joy. Because you know what? I never grow in the good times. I always find I grow in the times that are difficult. And it's something builds within my life. And that God can get the glory when that happens. And the devil gets stood on. And he should be under our feet. When we push through and say, I'm not going to embrace the prison of self-pity and the prison of offense. I'm going to embrace peace and joy and know that I don't, I, don't need to, I don't need revenge. I don't need to get back. I don't need to get even. I don't need to yield, uh, yield to that emotion. I just need to let God have his way and I need to let him come and do a work in my heart as I yield to him. I tell you what, it's a good thing. Paul, Paul actually says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, take captive every thought and obedience unto Christ. That's always the issue, isn't it? It's having, you know what I'm saying, I've always said this, have a check up from the neck up. Because that's where the battle lays. And you know, when you, anyway. Do you know, I've, I've come to understand something. The truth is, when we're mistreated, mistreatment doesn't grow us alone. That's not the thing that really grows us. What grows us, what, what matures us, what strengthens us in the midst of mistreatment is found in a, in a verse in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. And I'll, and I'll put it up there and read it to you. But what really grows, see, mistreatment is just a catalyst for growing. But this is what really grows. It says, though he was a son, talking about Jesus, Hebrews 5, 8, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Did Jesus, was Jesus mistreated? Oh my goodness, he's the, he is the one person that uh, was right up there on the top of the list for mistreatment. Never did anything wrong, and yet beaten, bashed, crucified, uh, whipped, everything happened to him. Um, but it says, though he was a son, in other words, though he was even the son of God, he was God's favorite man, God's favorite boy, yet he learned obedience. He had to learn obedience. Did you know it's a process of learning? Don't get upset with yourself if you just didn't quite make it this time with those emotions. You thought, oh, I've got to deal with this offense. It's getting a hold of me or, or this self-pity thing I need to, you know, it's a learning process. Allow God to come and as you yield your life, he can interrupt, he can infiltrate, he can do things in your heart, he can change your heart. And it's a learning process. You know, sometimes, Sometimes I know God works in a miraculous ways and he does things instantly sometimes, which is brilliant. I love that. I want that all the time. But sometimes there's a process of learning and growing up in our faith, isn't there? And that's what the, the Hebrews is saying. Whoever wrote Hebrews is the one book we don't know the real author of and in the Bible. And yet he, it says he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. How did he learn obedience? By the, the way he was mistreated. I want to tell you, how do we grow spiritually when we go through unfair treatment, affliction and persecution, and you still choose to obey God? You still choose to obey God's way of doing it, and, you do God, and you're obedient to his commands. In other words, when the sun is shining, it's easy to obey. When the storm hits and criticism comes your way, and unfair treatment is knocking at your door, we have to choose to be obedient and bless those who treat us badly. Be obedient to his command. Forgive those who, who do things to you. Hand over those situations that just seem to be so unfair. 
And there's many of them that can happen, isn't there? Many things that can happen. People cut you off in traffic. Um, family members say something that is a bit harsh. That's not fair. You know, you get blamed for something that you didn't do. Or you did do, but you were sincere in doing it. and You didn't mean to hurt anybody else. So that's when obedience really counts for something, folks. You don't learn from the, from the mistreatment, but you learn when you're obedient, you learn how to handle the mistreatment. And you go on in strength when you walk in obedience to his truth and how to handle it. I want to encourage us this morning. I, uh, many years ago, many years ago, I uh, used to go to gym with a guy in this church. His name was Matt. He was, about, he was about 10 sizes bigger than me. Some might remember Matty Draper. And um, Matt and I used to go to gym at about 6 o'clock, just for three quarters of an hour every morning and you know he had muscles on his muscles you know I was pretty skinny at like you know um, I wasn't uh, much bigger than I am now but and, he, and he, he wanted to show me how to build a bit of muscle I thought you know I'm I'm, I'm getting really old I was 35 and <laughs> and I thought I'd better start now you know start to build something so we go to the gym and he, he give me these little dumbbells and they would be and we started off like 15 kilograms he was pumping 35 he'd go pick up a 35 round think wow I, I tried to pick up a 35 couldn't even pick it up <laughs> that's right uh, anyway so I started on 15 he says I just start on something and so I'd do three of these and go whoa and you know after a while after a, a month I was I picked up 17 and started to do 10 of them I thought oh I'm building some muscle now and then I even got to 20 I thought wow and I could start to see the difference I'd look in the mirror and think Come on, you all do it. We all go, oh, that's looking good. We all do it. Anyway, I was, I was, I was building some muscle. And, and as I started to think about that, I, you know, maybe it was my thoughts, maybe it was God just placing something in my heart, but it kind of the metaphor started to hit me and, and it started to be like this. It's like the Lord was saying, I have something I want you to do. And it's going to, it's going to mean carrying 15 kilograms of mistreatment. Can you handle it? And, and are you ready? And, and we have somebody say something and, and we defend ourselves and we snap back and we want to get revenge. And God says, okay, obviously you're not up to 15 kilo, kilograms of mistreatment. Let me just give you 13 kilograms of mistreatment. We'll just lower the bar a little bit. God's very gracious like that. Um, now you say, well, God, does God actually mis, you know, allow mistreatment? No, I, 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 God will never mistreat us. God will never want that. But there's things happen in this world and he says, you know what? I can use that if you allow it to be... It worked through in your life. And, and it's like sometimes when we, you know, and then, or maybe it's your, you know, your spiritual maturity is equivalent to 20 kilograms of weight this morning. Maybe you're a bit of a muscle builder today and you can handle it and you're spiritually mature. And, and maybe you're, you, you know, you mightn't physically be too great, but maybe spiritually you can handle 50 kilograms of, 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 of mistreatment. You know, and, and the reality is, is that God just wants you to grow and strengthen. And wherever you are today, God wants to take you even stronger because He wants you to be a light and a beacon for, his, for this world that needs truth and light. Because this world faces mistreatment all the time, but it needs to see people who stand up and say, you know what? I don't like what's happening, but I've got a God who's still good and I'm going to praise him through the midst of this. He wants to build your spiritual muscle. He wants to build something in your life. 
And I want to tell you how it happens. It doesn't happen in church on a Sunday morning necessarily, but it happens through the week when someone does something to you and you feel it's unfair. Or when you have opportunity for offense and unforgiveness. That's when, and you say, you know what? I'm not going to allow that get to me. I'm going to walk through this. I'm going to allow God to be my strength. And I'm going to pray for those who might do something to me. And I'm going to have the right attitude. And I'm going to build something in my life. And that's when God goes, well done, good and faithful servant. Spiritual muscle is built. You know, your wife says something nasty. And you say, that's okay. I still love you. Put another couple kilograms on the bar. (laughs) Or your husband says something really nasty. When you say, do I look good in this? And they tell you the truth. <laughs> and you say, that's okay. I'm not going to offend it. And you women put another couple kilograms on the bar. And then someone at work has it in for you and you don't get that promotion. But you say, that's okay. God, I believe you got it in hand. And you go from 15 to 20 kilograms of spiritual maturity. And the devil starts to get worried. And then, and then, you know, you have, you have uh, someone cut you off in traffic and give you a Hawaiian wave or whatever you want to call it and, and, and get upset with you. And, and, you know, you say, that's okay. You smile back at them and say, I'm not hassled. And you put another, you go to 25 kilograms. Building spiritual muscle. And then a, and then a, a friend that you thought was a friend says something and and it really hurts. And you say, that's okay. There's something I can learn in this. And you go from 25 to 30. And the devil trembles and God rejoices because the testimony of this Christian is continually getting stronger. And people in the world are seeing it and they're saying, hey, what's up with this guy or this lady? They smile and they have some kind of peace and joy in the midst of what they face. And everything's not rosy for them, but you know what? They handle it so well. What have they got that I haven't got? And that's when you can be Jesus under people. Can we stand today together as we close? See, God just wants you. God loves you incredibly. God does not put his head in the sand when you go through mistreatment. Or something happens that's not nice, some trial. He doesn't, oh, yeah, yeah. No, he is intimately involved if you will allow him to. He's there. He wants to be there. But sometimes we walk away and say, no, I'll handle it my way. And secretly in our hearts, we want revenge. We want things to happen for that person. And we get a kind of smile on our face when something bad goes wrong. And that's what God says, that's not the way I want you to live your life. I want you to live your life praying for those ones. I want you to live your life undefended. I want you to live your life not in self-pity. I want you to take responsibility. I want you to live with not your joy and your peace being continually kidnapped by your emotions, but live with peace and joy, free from the emotions and negative emotions of life. God loves us. Someone's, you know, I know it's a cliche, but God loves us too much to leave us the way we are or allow us to be the way we are. Ah, you know. So this morning, we're going to just finish with the song and worship, but if you're here this morning and you just know that, hey, Father, 
I just need to yield this one to you. Right now, you're facing something, and you just need to yield it to him this morning. And, and, and right where you are, I'm just going to invite you just to lift your hands, and we're just going to pray. And behind that hand is you just saying, Father, here it is again, because it's a learning process. Remember, sometimes it's a process of learning. Here it is again, God. This has not been easy. I don't like it. And it seems unfair, but I'm going to ask you to come and invade my inner person. So I'm not in prison. I'm not two levels below ground level. I'm not damp, dark, and dingy. But I'm light, life, and love with you in my heart. I'm yielded to you. So if you're here this morning, can we just want, let's just, we can just close our eyes. We just lift your hands. I want to just pray. My prayer doesn't make it any more powerful, but I just want us to be honest and sincere and real with God right now. And this is something saying, Father, I've got to yield it to you. Just lift your hands to him. Make it real with between you and him this morning. Let's just be honest. We don't have to do it because I asked. I just I want you, because I believe the Holy Spirit is here to minister to your life right where you are. Right where you are. Right where you are. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that your presence has always been here. You came in with people. You're here. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into our lives. So those who raise their hands, who are just behind their hand, is something that they're wanting to yield to you today. It's an unfair treatment. It's a circumstance. It doesn't seem right. And we're not perfect, and, and, and that's not an excuse, Lord, this morning, but it's just a reality. But we need your strength, Father. We need your Holy Spirit presence and power in our life to cope with what we're facing and what we're coping with. And Father, this morning we choose. We choose to be obedient to your command. Help us to be, choose your ways to be obedient, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's mercy, whether it's grace, whatever we need to apply to the circumstances. Father, whether we need to pull back from that self-pity and just see, hey, be, to own up and be responsible for our own lives and not just yield that everybody else has got a problem, but I have it. But to today, we come and yield to you. Holy Spirit, this sacred moment, just have your way. Speak of the hearts, touch your lives. Come, Holy Spirit. Renewing, restoring, refreshing, encouraging right now. Holy Spirit, we pray. Touching lives. We need your hand, Lord. We need your touch. In Jesus' name, come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Over lives this morning, ministry. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We will not hold you. They'll talk before you. Silence the I see and grace. Yes, Lord. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no rival, you have no evil, now and forever, God, you Come and reign in our lives, Lord. Please reign. Come and sit on the seat of our hearts, Father. The throne of our hearts. Because yours is Sunday above all names. 
Father, thank you, Father. We thank you for your encouragement, your strength, and your word today, which is truth to us. We want to live by that, by your word and by your presence as we go into this day, into this week. Father, may we be an encouragement to someone today as we just spend a moment together in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, church.